Welcome to Noon Edition on WFIU. I'm your host, Bob Zaltzberg, talking this week with Indiana University Provost Raul Shrivastov. I knew I was going to do that. Sorry. Um, So the new provost is uh, the provost and executive vice president. He got his doctoral degree from IU in speech and hearing sciences and 2001, and now he's a campus chief academic officer. His role leads all academic units at IU, and he coordinates initiatives for faculty research. And I'm just, I'm delighted to have him here with us today. If you have questions or comments, you can send them to us um, on email, news at indianapublicmedia.org. You can also join us on the air, 812-855-0811 or toll-free at 877-285-9348. And you can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. Well, thank you so much for being here with us. Thank you, Bob. All right. Thanks for the invitation. It's a delight to be here. There's so much going on in the university. We're going to get to strategic planning here in a little bit. We're going to try to uh, – this is my term. We're going to dumb it down for people and <laughs> talk about a lot of the details and, and what the goals are and how we're going to get there and all that. Um, I'm just going to start with – I've got a couple of questions that have come in. Um, here's one from John. I want to start with this. as IU has – or had a world-class school of music, what specifically does the plan do to make sure the school of music stays world-class? Oh, thank you, John. This uh, couldn't be a more timely question because I just spent last week with the Jacob School of Music leadership and their advisory board. And yes, it is an amazing school of music. It is known all over the world for the quality of training and the talent that the school has, and we have every intention of keeping it um, at that level and improving it even further. Uh, I think we have to be ambitious. Uh, we also have to make sure that we um, sort of keep updating our curriculum and our offerings and the kind of programming that we do to serve musicians, the music industry, as that whole business and the whole industry has evolved. Uh, We hired Abra Bush as the new dean. She is doing such a phenomenal job, um, in my opinion, trying to maintain what has um, made the Jacob School of Music as good as it is, uh, but also invest in things that will set it up for um, success over the next several decades. So I'm Excited! I know they are working. The school is working on their own strategic plan. Um, the advisory board is on board with that process. Um, and to me, there's a lot of excitement around um, where Jacobs is headed in the coming year. So uh, kudos to Abra, uh, Jeremy, uh, the former uh, interim dean who's still part of the leadership. They are leading the conversation further, and, and I think we'll be in great shape in the coming years. Yeah, I want to follow up and ask about, about faculty. And what prompts this question really is an email I saw yesterday or a, a, a release I saw yesterday about seven new law school faculty members who looked incredibly impressive, the seven new faculty members there. And it just strikes me that the faculty member or the faculty members in the Jacobs School have always sort of been uh, among the leaders in their particular disciplines. How important, you know, and to think of John's question in making sure that you get the right faculty members for this. Oh, it's central, and it's not just for Jacobs or law. This is universal. I think talent drives the institution, and trying to get the right talent and recruit the right talent and support the right talent so they can grow and progress and be uh, even better, I, I think that's uh, central to the success of the institution. Okay. So let's get in a little bit to st- the strategic plan. This is strategic plan 2030, so you're trying to look at least seven years out. I know um, you know we could go over some of the specifics, but you know there are three pillars. They're very general. And then there are your seven, what do you call those, the seven, seven core principles mm-hmm. of, of them. Um, and there, you know, taught the number one on that is respect for IE's rich history, a legacy of academic and research excellence as Indiana's flagship public university. So that's obviously a, a key core principle. And then it goes on from there with six others. A lot of the work of this is done in the detail work, mm-hmm. right? So... 
if you could take us back to how you develop the pillars, which all seem very general and very you know right on target, and the seven principles, how did you how did you create those? And then where do you go from there? Yeah, so so first of all, uh, kudos to um, all our faculty and staff because if you followed how the process involved uh, unfolded, it was phenomenal. When we when we kicked off the process, um, I was hoping. I said, if I can get forty, fifty people dedicated to doing this, we can turn it around quickly and do a great job. We sent an open invitation. And boy, the response was phenomenal. I mean, in a few days, we had crossed that 50, uh, maybe in a few hours. In a few days, we were in a couple of hundred range. I think at one point, we had over 400. And in our office, we started saying, okay, how do we do this and do it meaningfully and still engage all the enthusiasm that we have for creating this plan? Um, So then we broke those into 25 working groups, did the charge, and the rest is history, as they say. Uh, more specifically to your question, how did we get through it? That, that I must give full credit to President Witten. Um, this was last summer. Uh, President Witten called the cabinet and key people together and said, let's figure out how to do this and do it in a big way that sort of defines it well enough that it's you know what you're doing, but still gives enough flexibility so IU Bloomington can do it as well as, say, IU Kokomo could do it. And that conversation in a cabinet retreat basically led to the big pillars, the big themes, the central goals of it. And then that percolated down to each campus to say, how do we build it? So it was a very, in my opinion, a very well thought out um, well-crafted process. We also, from day one, again, under President Witten's charge, uh, worked towards creating a actionable, metric-driven plan rather than, you know, the magnus opus that would sit on a shelf with hundreds and hundreds of pages, which sometimes institutions do, and it doesn't really lead to action. And I'm, uh, again, kudos back to the IU Bloomington team for delivering on each of those principles. There are several different plans within the plan. I mean, each campus is going to have a plan. And you can – I don't want to – first of all, before we get too far along, I don't want to overlook the pillars and the key the, you know, the key principles that shape the development of the plan. So are there parts of that that you want to talk about, just what the pillars are and what the – Yeah, I, again, they are, the pillars are around student success, around research, and around service, service to this community, which is, for us is, is Bloomington, the state of Indiana, and really as a, as a global institution in many areas, our community could be even bigger. Um, I think they are central for – they should be central for all public higher education institutions, and I'm I'm glad to see we we have put it out on paper and publicly that these are the three things broadly that we care about, because that is what defines a successful public research higher education institution today. Mm-hmm. One of the uh, I mentioned the first core principle was respect IU's rich history, a legacy of academic and research excellence as Indiana's flagship public university. I've been around here a long time. I've seen various, you know, leadership teams come in. I just want to ask you how, how is that balancing act between saying, you know, you're you and President Witten are the new leaders of the university. You're going to you you're helping create this new vision, this new plan. How do you do that and at the same time not alienate people who've been working under different leadership and they've been they've been pushing in one direction and maybe now you're going to tell them to push somewhere else. Yeah, I again I would say I inherited a wonderful Wonderful campus and and a really good institution and kudos to the leadership that left it in great shape for me. Um, that being said, the world around us changes all the time, um, and what was right in 1980 uh, and is different than what was right in 1990, and it's different than what it is today. And no matter what we do today, it will change in 10 years or 20 years out. So that's sort of the natural progression. We have always been good in many ways. We've always been targeting 
the same big picture goals, elevating research and student success and service, how we do it and what are our priorities need to evolve. So our goal here is to preserve what makes us really special, makes us really good, Mm -hmm. but also invest in things that will continue to keep IU on the top and maybe even take it higher than where we are in the coming years and decades. So I, I think we we have to acknowledge what we do really well, but we also have to be willing to invest in things that will make us even better. So to me, change is, is the only constant, right, as they say it. And we shouldn't be afraid of change. We have to embrace change. We have to do it in a right way. Uh, we don't want to leave anybody behind. We don't want to hurt anything, particularly things we are good at. But that does not mean we remain static because remaining static is a path to failure, not a path to success. So where are some of the key areas where you see investment coming in the in the next seven years? Uh, again, I think the strategic plan was was very specifically asked to identify what are things we need to invest in. And, and if you go through the strategic plan, it, it highlights that very, very clearly. So, for example, in, in the student success arena, there is a call out very directly to increase hands-on learning, experiential learning, more uh, sort of engaged uh, experience that connects the dots between the pure academic mission and the competency development that students need uh, to be successful. On the research domain, there are three or four high-priority areas from AI uh, to research on aging to um, environmental health and um, using quantum science to drive changes in all kinds of different disciplines. So, So the teams that have done the strategic planning exercise have spent a lot of time thinking through what are those areas where we have some presence, but with some strategic investments can really grow into national preeminence. And that's what we, I think we need to invest in uh, in the coming years. Yeah, one, one of my colleagues uh, had given me this question. It's about the priorities of quantum technology, biosciences, and defense, um, and those are crucial to the economy of Indiana. That's, that's straight from the plan. Um, in Bloomington, traditionally, there's been excellence in the arts and humanities. Uh, where do those fit into the plan? You know, if you push one way, sometimes there's give someplace else. Well, yes, I, 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 I agree, and I know there is some sort of uh, fear uh, about art and, arts and humanities losing ground. And my, my answer is, you know, arts and humanities is what makes IU IU. We have just an incredible concentration, an incredible number of talent, um, at IU on, in arts and humanities. I and mean, you started the conversation with Jacob School. And again, I mean, I spend a lot of time with the deans and other leaders in making sure that these these areas that are traditional strengths continue to thrive at IU. Um, we've invested, I think, a little over a million dollars in just this year alone into updating uh, some of the facilities in in the um, uh, in Jacob School, for instance, uh, I've created a new leadership team, uh, arts and humanities leadership team. Two of the arts and humanities deans are on it. A couple of faculty are on it. Um, Ed Dallas Kamantali, who leads the arts and humanities council, is a part of that team, uh, and they've been charged with coming up with big ideas that elevate arts and humanities beyond where it is today. So there is no lack of interest or attention on arts and humanities. Um, but I, I I know some faculty and some staff um, often feel that because it's not called out in the strategic plan more directly, there is a fear that it's not getting the attention. But again, the strategic plan was designed to say, what are things we don't do that we need to invest in? Mm-hmm. It does not say, here. if it's not here, we won't invest in it. Um, so, so there's a little sort of disconnect that I, I hope 
people and listeners who are listening in recognize that there is no interest in shrinking, but we have to strategically invest in things we want to grow. That That's what the strategic plan is about. At some, some point, somebody said, let's invest in music, right? Yes. So. And that's what made it where it is today, right? So right. if now the call is to let's invest in quantum science, let's do that. So you mentioned uh, an executive leadership team. Are you referring to the for the the humanities? Are you referring to the 23-person executive leadership team that you put together to help implement the strategic No, plan. that's different. Okay. I have a separate Arts and Humanities Leadership Council, and that's composed of um, two deans, two faculty, the director of the Eskenazi Museum uh, of Art, and, and of course, Ed. Uh, so we've got some big thinkers in that group, and I'm confident they'll, they'll come at this with a strategic vision and some good ideas. So what do, you, what do you hope to get out of the the executive leadership team that you put together that has, um, I think, uh, Rick Van Kooten is one of the leaders of that team to help drive this strategic plan? I think this summer is what you said in that release. Uh, that's what do, you, what do you hope they're doing this summer? Yeah, thank, thank you for uh, bringing me back to the 2030 strategic plan because truly that is that, that is our – Roadmap. That's the North Star we are looking at as we, we are moving forward. So what I have done is I have created a team of 20-some people, as you mentioned, uh, led by two deans, Rick Van Kooten, who is the executive, associate, uh, executive dean for the College of Arts and Sciences, and uh, Stacey Moroni, who's leading the School of Education. Um, their charge... Uh, well, they will officially be charged, uh, I think, early next week. But bottom line is this is the group that I will want to help um, keep us on track with the actual implementation of the strategic plan. This is the group that will decide priorities, where the investments should go, how we tackle each thing that's listed, and and the sequence in which it's done. So th- this is the group that will oversee how we get from the the plan itself to the actual implementation of the plan. So that kicks off early next week, and it's a race to the finish from there. And, you know, as we mentioned before, you know, sometimes when you hear a strategic plan, people's eyes kind of glaze over. This is where the real work is done, right, and trying to make sure this is how we get to these places that you want to go. Absolutely, and and this team will help lead the charge and keep keep the institution accountable in in implementing it. All right, I'm talking today with uh, Raul Shrivastov, who is the IU Bloomington Provost and Executive Vice President. Uh, we haven't had the provost on the show before, so I'm delighted to have him here today. If you have any questions. For him, you can send them to news at indianapublicmedia.org. You can join us on the air at 812-855-0811 or call us toll-free at 877-285-9348. Or you can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. I know I mentioned to you before we have had one other question that's come in that's about the various centers on campus. I did a little research last night. I looked up centers and institutes on the IU campus. There are like 255 on the various campuses. Um, This um, question was about consolidation or eliminating some centers. What's going on with the centers on campus? (laughs) A lot. Uh, uh, um, Okay, so there are centers that that are within a school or a college, and there are centers that are outside the school and the college. They're either part of the provost's office or report to the vice one of the vice presidents. Well, that would be like the Center for Rural Engagement. Exactly. Um, what we are trying to do is to address some issues with the centers that report outside a school and a college. Whether the school and the college decides to adapt the framework for everybody else or not, that's up to the schools and colleges. Our centrally reporting centers are really three subtypes, even though we call them or treat them all the same way. There are three different types of centers. 
there are some which are very much interdisciplinary research focus. And the perfect example is the Kinsey. It's called an institute, but it operates like in our vocabulary, it's like a center. There are some which we call centers, but they are really core institutional facilities. An example will be uh, the lab animal research facility. Uh, again, we call them centers. We treat them like centers. But to me, that's that's an institutional facility. This is something you need to get our daily job done. It's kind of like the libraries. You can't have an institute of higher education without a library. Likewise, a big research-focused institution cannot have a central infrastructure to support research. Um, the third kind are centers that have a very specific um, objective. They are largely funded through state appropriations. It comes, money comes in from the state, and they that money goes towards serving whatever the purpose is. So we have one on geologic systems, and uh, it's, again, state appropriations. The people in these centers live on campus. They walk on campus like you and I do. They are working with other faculty and staff and students. But their purpose and their um, uh, goals and operations are defined by their mission. Currently, all of these fall under a common theme, under a common umbrella, they are treated the same way. Their budgets go up and down using a similar mechanism. What we are trying to do is to separate them. We, I don't believe that a institutional infrastructure like the lab animal research facility should be treated the same way as a center like Kinsey, which is designed to bring people from different backgrounds towards a common set of research teams together. So what we are trying to do is to financially say – how we support A is different than how we support B and C. Each one needs a different kind of support and has different kinds of unique challenges. So that's sort of the organizational change that is in the works at the moment. Again, there is no real um, attempt to tell somebody to do something different, but it is to help support them in different ways. We have a, a question that's come in that is related to this. And, of course, you know, in the news recently was the state of appropriation or lack thereof for, for Kinsey. Some of these other institutes or some of these other centers, as you talk about, live on state appropriations. Um, does it concern you that, that the uh, funding source for different centers could be um, in jeopardy depending on the topic of the center or the uh, the – the way the legislature feels that day. Um, I mean, yes, that's the Kinsey's is the, is the perfect example. And as you have or others, I'm sure, have seen the statement President Witten and I and others put mm -hmm. out there, we we were deeply concerned with uh, with the with the way this was done um, and the impact. Now, exactly how we move forward is still something we are investigating. And again, President Witten has, is really working closely with key individuals to understand what that law means and how we continue to support Kinsey and continue to make sure that academic freedom is maintained on campus. Um, and we'll, we'll, we'll find a way forward once we have a full evaluation from our general counsel office and others about what the law means and 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 what the downstream impact of that will be. Yeah, because Ken, I mean Kinsey is the recognizable one, it's the one that's been in the news, but you know the way you describe funding for centers it could happen in at various levels. So. Yep, it, it could. Mm -hmm. You're right. Okay. Um if you have a question or a comment, please give us a call, 812-855-0811 or toll-free at 877-285-9348. Uh, or you can send your question to news at indianapublicmedia.org. We have a treat today and a great opportunity because we have the provost of Indiana University, Bloomington, Raul Shravastov, here with us. So in terms of the um, the strategic plan now, you've got this summer that you're going to be building it out and putting a lot more detail on it, then how do you communicate that and how do you move that forward? 
Well, so first of all, work's already begun. Um, there were a lot of things that that are um, that were time sensitive and that we need to move quickly on. Um, and so we haven't wasted a single minute as the strategic plan emerged. So just to give you an example, um, we, as the conversations were going on for the strategic planning exercise, uh, we were hearing a big push for promoting entrepreneurship, innovation, and commercialization. And it was surprisingly coming from two different groups that were both working independently. The group that was focused on research was saying, we've got to figure out how to be better at translating the science and the the activities and the discoveries we make here. But a similar call was coming from the group or groups that were working on service to the state because they were saying that is one way by which we can um, elevate how the people at IU can help help state and regional economic development. So it was very clear that this was going to become a priority for us um, as we move forward. So we started looking at this. We started benchmarking ourselves to other institutions. I pulled together a group of six to eight faculty who are working on how to implement this. Um, we worked with President Witten. She was extremely supportive and really interested in doing that. And we've already launched IU Innovates uh, as a framework for creating a bigger, bolder vision towards elevating our ability to take discoveries and ideas out of our labs into the workforce. And again, we are not at zero. We are starting at a pretty good level. Um, I recently had a conversation with one of our faculty, Richard DeMarkey, who many people are familiar with. And there is just so much excitement around one of the pharmaceutical agents, one of the drugs that is likely to be the next big blockbuster drug. And he's been sort of the driving force behind creating this, along with partnership, obviously, with Eli Lilly. Um, So we have a lot of activity, but how do we scale that up? So we've already launched IU Innovates to do that, IU Ventures, which is our one of our entities is actually hosting a big meeting on campus today, a building over, and I walked through there this morning and there were 200 plus people in it. So a lot of activity has already begun. Um, the implementation team that kicks off next week will set other priorities for us on what do we do this year, what do we want to wait for six months or a year to implement. They will also have to tell me which ones need to go through the faculty governance process, as every higher ed institution should do. There are things that are squarely on the faculty governance side. There are other things that are more on the policy administrative side. So so that group will help filter priorities, uh, sequences, contingency plans. Give me the plan. I will have to work with our teams to say, how do we invest in these? How quickly do we assign this to different offices. Um, we've also done some reorganization on the administrative side. Our vice provost for undergraduate education office is being restructured in a big way as we speak. Uh, the vice provost for student affairs office is being integrated with housing and other big units in a, another major uh, significant sort of reorganization. And they're all designed to make the institutional decision-making sort of responsive to what the priorities laid out in IUB 2030 are. Okay. We have a question that's come in from a professional member of the professional staff named Susanna. Uh, One area that's not been addressed is a mechanism for staff to evaluate management, perhaps using 360 review um, and a meaningful avenue to counter adversarial micromanagement, which is steeped in a number of departments. I posed this question at the at a 2023 st- strategic plan meeting. Um, the response was this question was more suitable for the VP of HR. Um, she's asking for your comment. Oh, again, th- thank you for bringing that up, Susanna. This was, I'm aware, this was discussed at the strategic planning 
discussion meeting, and we had a little bit of a conversation around it. Uh, This was probably six months ago. And the reason it did not show up in the strategic plan document is because several of us believe this was not strategic. This is something we should be doing anyway. Every institution should be doing the right thing for its staff and have a um, sort of a program where every staff member and faculty member, for that matter, gets an annual evaluation, and that includes management, and and periodically have a 360-degree evaluation or something close to it anyway, back to evaluate how individual leaders and decision makers are working. So a lot of progress has been made on it. our vice provost, our vice president for HR, uh, Todd Richardson, uh, he's fantastic. He's doing just a phenomenal job of moving the institution forward in that area. Um, uh, has already implemented some changes. There were some we announced um, maybe in April. We sent an email, he and I jointly, to uh, highlight all the different um things we are doing to support our staff, staff satisfaction. Um, We are working with uh, various um, entities on campus to institute a 360-degree-like evaluation for our leaders. That includes the deans. So Bloomington Faculty Council has a proposal, uh, and they've discussed sort of changing the – three-year and five-year review process for for our deans. Um, separately, uh, Todd is leading a charge to do an annual evaluation process. We have piloted that in three different units, uh, one in Bloomington, one at uh, IUPUI, and the third might be at the School of Medicine. I'm not sure, but I think it's at the School of Medicine. I'm aware of the one in um, in Bloomington, that was the Jacob School of Music. They had a 97% response rate, which was phenomenal. Um, we are now looking at the process, getting the feedback on how that process worked out with the goals of implementing it institution-wide next year. So, yes, that is on our radar, and we have made progress, and we will continue to do more on that front, by the way, I also work with the staff council leadership on this issue, and I'm meeting uh, Allison and Lamara, two, two of the leaders from that group, uh, meet them two or three times a semester. Uh, so we'll, we'll continue to make progress, and I, I think you'll be happy with where we end up as we move this forward. So if Susanna wants to keep track of all this, staff council is maybe that the staff place Staff council to go. is the right place to go. Okay. Um, so another question. Let me see if I can find one here that uh, has come in. Um, does IU Bloomington intend to increase the number of master's students employed in part-time teaching positions and increase the number of Ph.D. Um, SAAs? I don't know what that means. I don't know what SAAs are. In order to offset the increased costs of the stipends. Uh, honestly, uh, that is a in the weeds question, uh, and it'll probably vary by school or department or whatever unit you are. And each unit will have to respond differently. But bottom line is, what this is really addressing is what about our graduate students and essays? Gotcha. And and you know, when I walked in a little over a year ago, this was a fire I walked into, and it's it was something that had been simmering for a while, and my very first day I was asked this question and I said I said let's understand the problems and let's find a way to solve it and I'm I'm proud to say between our leadership on campus uh, our faculty our departments um, we are all committed to making sure that graduate students continue to get the best experience um, and support and outcomes uh, I as you may remember, I charged a task force. Uh, they gave some recommendations. I told that task force, I said, you are not going to work like every other task force that spends a year and tries to come up with you know, lofty goals that aren't clearly articulated. Give me specifics and don't wait for a year to do it. Give it to me as you discover the problems and whatever we can solve, we'll solve right away. And so every month, 
or every six weeks, they'd give me some recommendations or some things they were thinking about, and we would say, what can we address immediately? There were some things we could. Pay was a big one, and we did. Uh, there were some things that will take time. Curricular changes, um, for example, mentorship, um, um, things around grievances. Many of those we have tackled. Many of those uh, was a great absolute wondership, wonderful partnership with BFC. They took it among the faculty leaders there, took it upon themselves to say, we've got to resolve it. And within a few months, they did. Um, there are still things that we need to do. Uh, they, that task force has now been integrated into the uh, IUB 2030 plan. The recommendations are there for anybody to see it. We have um, sort of devolved the university graduate school into a Bloomington-specific graduate school, which allows us to act quicker and in a more meaningful way because these are issues central to us. Uh, David Dalecki, who was already leading some of this, has recently, I think less than a month ago, officially begun in the role of the IU Bloomington graduate of uh, dean of graduate school. Uh, he's continuing to make progress on those issues. So, yes, we tackled a lot of things, but there's a lot that needs to be done, and we will continue to find ways to improve it. Got a question in that uh, I think will allow you to follow up on this a little bit. The question is, how will the experience for a graduate student look differently this fall compared to when you when you began? Um, so... Just from a pay perspective, it's already different. It's been different for seven, eight months, a year almost now. Um, I think you are going to see a greater emphasis on uh, improving our mentorship. I think you're going to see uh, curricular changes uh, that improve um, or expand the graduate PhD level training. So it is not solely focused on academic positions. It is focused on a broader set of uh, career opportunities for our students. I think you're going to see um, a greater um, uh, focus on interdisciplinary training. These are all things that are necessary for us to make sure our graduate students are back better equipped and better prepared. There is going to be a deeper emphasis on increasing, improving the time to degree. Um, mm -hmm. There were some students, I looked at the data, there were some students who were, um, who were on as PhD students for way too long than PhD training should, should take. And we've, we've got to be better as an institution at helping students and supporting students get through it quicker and better prepared. Final follow-up on this area. Why is the union request a non-starter? Well, the the decision to recognize or not recognize a union sits with the trustees. It is not my decision. It is not the president's decision. Um, and from the very day I have come, I have said, tell me the problems and we will fix it. Um, and we have done that. Uh, and I've also told our students and our faculty, we have done well for over 200 years without the union, and we can continue to do it well without the union. But that's really not my call at all. That decision is not – I don't have the authority to make that decision. Got you. So getting back to the strategic plan, there are a lot of things in it, uh, a lot about student success and, and just focusing on students. This idea of sort of revamping the freshman experience is in there. What kinds of things would you like to see in that? Um, yeah, so hmm. I, I think we need a much more deeper conversation on what the first-year experience should look like. Uh, what I can say is nothing sets a student for more longer-term success than their first four to six months in college. I mean, remember, our student body, and I'm talking IU Bloomington, is primarily your traditional student body. It is kids who have finished high school, they are high achieving. Um, but for most of them, this is the first time they're taking a 
step towards independence. This is the first time they're leaving home. This is the first time they're going to be on their own. They have to make their own decisions. And we need a strong, supportive environment where they can make that transition. Um, to me, the other other big thing about college, and I'm saying this not just as somebody who spent decades in higher education, I'm also saying this as a parent. I have three young kids, and I'm constantly thinking when my first child goes to college, what is the what is the experience I want them to have? And so, what I want them to have is a environment that supports them in whatever they want to do, but also encourages them to not be afraid to take some risks. We want college to be a place where our students can push themselves and be comfortable with failing because we want an institution that helps you get up, dust your socks off, and go at it all over again. And I I say this to parents who are looking for where they should send their school, uh, their kids to school, or students who are deciding whether I use the right fit for them. And I'll say that on radio again. IU should be a place where you get in because you've learned to succeed, but you get out because you've learned how to fail. Because that is the experience that will make you successful in life. Not just the success that you've had, but also the ability to push yourself, fail enough to learn from it, and get up and go again. That's what we have to create, and it all starts with a well-rounded, academically focused, but really a full breadth of experience that will help make IU really special. Mm -hmm. Exactly how we do that, again, that's where I'm going to look for our implementation team to say, these are the things we need to do to help create that environment. Sounds like a lot lot of what you just talked about, I can find them in the core principles here. There's one, um, you know, we're in this world of divisiveness now and a lot of rhetoric and a lot of people saying things they don't know what they're talking about. But uh, this particular uh, principle, cult, uh, culture and respect and uh, of respect and integrity, a welcoming environment of mutual respect, respect where students, faculty, and staff from every corner of the world are embraced as Hoosiers. I just read that to you. Can you? What's your reaction? How uh, again? I I love it. Remember, I didn't write that plan. Right. The faculty did, but I will tell you that is something. I felt here the day I walked in back in 1997 because there is a culture of respect and a culture of care, really, that makes IU Bloomington really, really, really special. Bob, a few weeks ago, we had the Outstanding Seniors Student Award brunch. It was, I think, on a Saturday it's an annual event, and about 30, 35 students from the outgoing class get recognized for what they have done. And the, the awards range from all academic to leadership to service. That's, that's all kinds. The f- students are there. Their families are there. Our faculty and leaders are there. It is an incredible event. But every single award recipient that day went up on stage or they had a little video about their experience at IU. And the one theme that is common for every single person is the love, the support, the care they receive from our faculty, from our advisors, from our staff, from IU Dining, whoever happened to be working about. And time after time, the theme that came up in that conversation was, I did this because somebody else believed that I could do it. Nobody said, oh, I knew I could do this, and that's why I did it. And that is what makes IU Bloomington really, really, really special. And that is sort of the secret sauce for why IU is where it is and why we need to maintain and cultivate and grow that, because that ultimately is what makes our students and our faculty and our staff successful. So when I saw that preamble that came up there, I was I mean, you should have seen my face because I'm like, okay, this 
is what I remember as a student here. This is what excited me about coming back to IU, and I'm just delighted that we begin IUB 2030 by saying this is what we care about as an institution. Mm-hmm. So it's it's really in our DNA. It really is, and I and I hope that we continue to leverage that and build that in whatever we decide to do moving forward. Another one of the principles talks about uh, the commitment to diversity, equity, and inclusion. This is, you know, this has been an issue in probably every strategic plan, or at least as far back as I can remember. Um, you know, how do you mo- how do you just move that boulder up the hill? It's difficult yeah. here in southern Indiana. It's difficult everywhere. It's not. It's not unique to Southern Indiana. This is a challenge. Um, it will be a challenge for all of us in the coming years. But I think we all recognize that we value every individual, uh, every student, and every faculty, and every staff, irrespective of what they bring to it. And we we need to be committed to making sure they all are uh, successful. Again. If you deep, dig deeper into the strategic plan, some of our metrics are directly talking about the equity gap. And we, we see today that certain students or certain groups of students um, seem to underperform our general average student, whether it's a first-generation student, whether it's a student of color, whether it's a student who comes from a low-income uh, family. And... We have to do more to make sure that all of those individuals are just as successful as everybody else. Um, You know, again, our benchmarks, when you compare IU to the national picture, we do so much better. Our our students graduate on time. Our students take on less debt when they graduate. Our students have better experience. They have better job outcomes. Our numbers are really good. But – when you go deeper, there are opportunities for us to do even better. And that is what the strategic plan is calling out for. And we have to recognize, you know, that's, again, to me, that's the value of public higher education. In our student body of 45,000 students, 15% of our undergraduates are, I think it's more than 15, maybe closer to 18%, are students who come from low-income families. These are students who have come to IU despite the challenges that many other students don't face. They may have a job while they are working in school. They may take a night shift delivering food or whatever else they do. But what do we do as an institution to make sure they have the same opportunities and the same outcomes than another student who did not have to deal with those kind of challenges? And that's called out directly in our strategic plan. And, I'm again, I'm delighted that we are paying attention to those challenges that you don't often see and feel, but individual students do. And we'll be committed to making sure these individuals have exactly the same level of success despite a different set of hills to climb. I want to slide this question in from one of our producers. Uh, in a 2021 Inside Higher Education uh, story, uh, two perspectives were shared. Harvard University President Lawrence um, Bacow said universities will continue to change incrementally. Uh, and then a business school professor, Clayton Christensen, said traditional models of higher education will quickly become obsolete and drive universities into bankruptcy. Which side do you fall on? <laughs> <laughs> um, somewhere in the middle. Yeah. I think we – look, I see this um, – I see this – think of it as university as a forest, right? Think of it as Brown County. Um, fall comes and the weather changes and the leaves – you start to shed the leaves. But sometimes right after a big cold spell comes another warm spell. If – Everybody shuts their leaves too quickly, and the weather changes, the whole forest dies. Not a good thing. But if enough of us shed shed the leaves and some retain it, some are slower and some are faster, some pieces fall off, but the institution continues to flourish. Mm -hmm. So I think both, both of them are right. 
if we if we are too static, we get obsolete very quickly. If we are putting everything for change, 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 change all the time, we will get obsolete very quickly. And that's the difference between the high-performing institutions like IU and the ones that don't change and get, get obsolete. Um, it's also the difference between private companies that are changing all in all the time. And they all have a shelf life which is smaller than higher ed institutions. IU is 200 years old. And in the higher education landscape, we are still a baby. The oldest institution in the United States is over 400 years old. The highest, longest-serving institution of higher ed globally is probably over 1,000 years old. Why do? How many companies can you think of that are 1,000 years old? Probably none, because higher ed institutions are successful when they adopt a little bit of both. And that's what we have to do here as well. We're out of time. I want to thank you very much for being here. This is I've been talking with Provost of Indiana University, Bloomington, Raul Shravastov. Um, I just I again I just want to thank you for coming in. I hope we can get you back again sometime. For our uh, engineer Mike Pashkash, our producer Benta Boutier, I'm Bob Zaltzberg. Thanks for listening to Noon Edition. Thank you. Production support for Noon Edition comes from Smithville. Fiber Internet, streaming TV, home security, and automation in southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com. And from Bloomington Health Foundation, providing financial support to the community for 55 years, promoting healthier lives and the advancement of future health care in our region, working together for a healthier tomorrow. More at bloomhf.org. And from Estate and Downsizing Specialists, LLC, offering complete turnkey services for estate and downsizing clients, from initial consultation through home cleanout to final real estate and personal property sales. More at edsindiana.com. I'm Sylvia McNair, and I am no historian, but I do know that music history is filled with amazing stories about love, loss, ingenuity, injustice, tragedy, and triumph. I also know that music history is filled with, well, some amazing music, and I get to share all of that with you, my friends. Join me for Sylvia and Friends, Saturdays from 10 to 1 on WFIU 2, and Sundays from 9 to midnight on WFIU. You're listening to WFIU Bloomington with translators W270BH at 1019 in Bloomington. W264AL at 100.7 in Columbus. W269BU at 1017 in French Lake, West Baden. W255BG at 989 in Greensburg. W291AM at 1061 in Kokomo. W261CM at 100.1 in Seymour. And W236AE at 951 in Terre Haute.